Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward alongside Will McNamara and Joey Nagel. How are we doing? Every Everything's bad. <laughs> yeah. Joey? Bad. Cool. Um, I just chugged uh, Duncan Ice coffee right before this, so I'm fired up to talk some Red Sox baseball. Kind of. I'm fired up. I don't know about the topic, Red Sox baseball, but we're going to talk about it anyways. Uh, spring training is just on the cusp of starting here. Pitchers and catchers were reporting today. Is today the official report date, too, or is that tomorrow? Tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow. Tomorrow. But a bunch of them are there right now, so you're starting to get some of the comments coming out of uh, Fort Myers. And, man, it is not a fun time to be a Red Sox fan, let me tell you, because these comments are not not what you want to see as a fan of the uh, the Red Sox here. Let's dive right into it. I want to start with the spring training comments today, especially the ones around Alex Cora, the manager. Uh, we've talked about on this podcast here and there whether Cora really wants to be here or not, whether he's going to be here after this season, the fact that he hasn't been offered a contract extension. So this is the last year of his current contract, um, which is typically something that you don't really want going into a season. You don't want your manager to be on the last year of his contract because it's a distraction for the team. There's a lot of uncertainty. Core doesn't care though. He was asked whether he's bothered by not having a contract beyond this year. And he said, not at all, not even a bit. He's not worried, not bothered, even a tiny little smidge that he's not, um, locked up to a contract with the Boston Red Sox kind of just signaling. He doesn't really want to be here. Um, and he also talked about how he doesn't want to manage the next several years of his life. There's more to life than baseball. As he said, he doesn't want to be like Terry Francona and those guys that manage, uh, later into their life. So I think this is probably his last season with the Red Sox. Um, and it makes you question why is he even the manager right now? Because you fired your your chief baseball officer, Heim Bloom. You bring in a new uh, GM, new head of the front office. Why wouldn't you start fresh with a new manager too, especially after how last season went? But, you know, it is what it is. Here he is. Cora talked about how he felt awful physically last year, uh, health-wise, energy-wise. It was bad, as he said. Um, and he says that he cannot let a game dictate who he is as a person and what he has to do. So I'm taking that as last year being as stressful as it was. It kind of got the best of him. Uh, and I mean, at least he recognized it. At least he's trying to go into this season feeling better. So what are our thoughts on Alex Cora as the manager going into this season and in general? Not encouraging, but I've speculated this for a while now. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. Um, his comments at least on paper, they come across as pretty brash, but it's it's warranted. Um, you know, we've talked about it before that the Red Sox did give him a second chance, and when the, the him and Bloom butted heads over roster construction, you know, the front office always had the leverage. They were like, "We gave you the second chance. You owe us." Blah blah blah. But after a number of years, you know that that's a tired excuse. And, um, you know, at this point, he knows he's one of the best managers in baseball. And this offseason, Craig Council got one of the biggest con- – he got the biggest managerial contract in baseball, effectively changing the landscape, turning managers into free agents. And uh, Cora is definitely going to get a contract like that. And we know the Red Sox don't pay for players. Why would they pay for him? There's been such a disconnect for a number of years in terms of roster construction. He's been very – vocal about that and um you know at this point why would he care because they completely they completely half-assed the offseason and um they show no drive same story he feels like we do that it's not a competitive team and they're asking him to manager or be the manager of an incomplete roster so you know what more can you say I definitely agree with that. The fact that he is once again given a incomplete roster, just like he was last year. And like you said, he was vocal about it last year. I do want to challenge one thing you said. Is he one of the best managers in baseball? Like I obviously in 2018, he was a, he was a wizard and every, everything he did just seemed to work out. 
but is he really one of the best managers in baseball? I know he has had incomplete rosters, but I just feel like throughout the season there have been questionable moves with the bullpen management, starting rotation management, uh, lineup choices. I remember last year having all sorts of issues with the tr- sitting Tristan Casas and Jaron Duran against lefties and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, Alex Verdugo was a big part of the problems in the clubhouse last year, but it's up to the manager to kind of tie everything back together. I don't know how well he handled that. Obviously, I'm not in the clubhouse, so I can't speak fully to that. And again, to be fair, it is very hard to manage a team that is not complete when it has the gaps and doesn't have a starting rotation as last season. So fair in all fairness, that is difficult to manage, but I don't really believe the narrative that Alex Cora is one of the better managers in baseball anymore. Like you, you, I, you look I at kind of his, agree with that. Yeah. You look at his track record and there have been a lot of bad decisions and, and tough moments over the past several, several years separating us from that magical 2018 team plus with 2018 you had Mookie Betts and, and JD Martin like that team was a bunch of superstar players I feel like a lot of people could have managed that team to go that far maybe not win the World Series like credit to Alex Cora for the smart moves he did make but I I don't really buy that Alex Cora really is one of the better managers at this point I gotta disagree I gotta disagree with that because yeah you said he pushed all the right buttons in 2018 he absolutely did and he did in 2021 as well. There's a reason that they came two games away from the World Series that year. And then going back as recent as last year, the entire summer, they had a rotation of Brian Bayo, James Paxton, sometimes James Paxton and Cutter Crawford. So for over almost two months, he had a two, three man rotation and he was able to keep the Red Sox winning games in a playoff spot for the majority of the summer. And then the wheels fell off at the deadline because they ran out of depth. And furthermore, around the league, he is still looked at by other teams as one of the top managers for reasons like that. You can, you know, you can question his lineup decisions and his bullpen management, but what he did this past season to keep the Red Sox afloat when they were just made of duct tape and gum was really one of the more impressive things that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And a lot of other teams around the league see that they notice that and they are going to be willing to pay him like a top manager in the game. Yeah, I can get behind that. I can see that vision. I guess when you're talking about the Red Sox and the, and the current team, it's more, I don't think he's the right fit for the Red Sox. I think if you put him on a competitive team, then maybe some of those, those magic moves that he had in 2018 will show again and he'll kind of prove to me and to other people that, yeah, I am that guy. I am that top manager in the league, but it, it's not going to help, I think, this Red Sox team. Like, I, I don't think he's in the position to succeed with this Red Sox team. I don't think he's, regardless of his managerial talent, I don't think this Red Sox franchise in its current state is set up correctly to benefit him and put him and doesn't put him in the best position to succeed. So I think that contributes to my argument about him not really being the best manager. Um, but yeah, I, I think also kind of the bad taste I have left in my mouth from last season is definitely swaying me. I think what he talked about, it was kind of validating to see him say that he felt awful physically last year and just didn't have a good year. Cause it kind of did appear like that, like in, in his post game press conferences, he just seemed kind of off and just worn down. We talked about how it looked like he didn't want to be there. Like he just looked done and over it. And so him kind of acknowledging that coming into the year this year, I think is is good in the sense that hopefully that won't be the case anymore and it'll have more of an upbeat energy, which I think would be good for this team. Um, yeah, so I mean, regardless of how he is as a manager in terms of talent and ranking in the league, I think that he is trending upwards this season than last season. I think last season was a just an off year for him. And I think the change in the front office probably helps too. I just I assume that Cora probably has a better relationship with Craig Breslow since he was a former player and they probably they didn't play together, but they knew each other to some degree, I think, I would assume, versus Bloom never played the game. So I think it's easier for two players to kind of talk baseball. So hopefully that helps too. Um, but in terms of his future, I just don't think he, he fits here. Like if 
you really wanted him to be here long term, he'd probably have a contract right now instead of going into the year without a locked up contract. He also talked about he was asked if he wants to even return to the Red Sox in 2025. He said, I don't want to talk about that right now. So I he's not coming back. That's really my conclusion here. Yeah, and uh, what I'm scared about now is that once they let him go, you you turn it over to the nerd. Like, I love Craig Breslow, but he is a nerd, and he's a big analytics guy. And the last thing that I want is one of those, you know, Aaron Boons, who's just a yes man to the front office. I don't want I, – I because it, it's tone deaf. It doesn't account for the momentum in a baseball game, all the subtle nuances that make managing a baseball team and a game so hard. Um, yeah. And if you give the front office free reign to pick a manager, I, I'm scared that they turn it into what the Yankees have done or what the Rays do in terms of just hiring someone who's there to sit in the dugout and they're given the game script and they have to stick to it. And they're not allowed to abandon that. And Cora is someone who is so good analytically, but also is, is one of the best at having a feel for the game. And if you let him go, you lose that. And, you know, the direction of this team turns into one of those into one of those other teams that is every game is scripted. Every game is on a piece of paper. You can eat you either you you can't uh, you can't veer off of the script. And um, I just I don't like that. That's not baseball to me. And, you know, I, I embrace analytics. But to me, a manager should be able to make their their decisions based on a mix of analytics as well as feel for the game. So I would not be looking forward to getting one of those. Yes, men. Yeah, I, I agree with you. However, I think that's the exact direction they'll take. It's exactly what's going to happen though. That's the thing. And I'm not, I'm not very happy about that. I would support though. It seems like they just kind of want to reassemble the 2013 team. Like they did that with Breslow and Bailey so far and, might as well bring in David Ross, David Ross or I think I feel like like David Ross has a good feel for the game. So if he's yeah. a consolation prize for letting Cora go, I would that take would be it. fine by me. I would but take it, but yeah. I'd still rather have AC. In I don't dream know. I don't know. I'm kind of over it, but whatever. We'll see what happens. I don't think the manager is really the focus of this year. I don't think that's the problem with this team. But it's going to become a big story as the year goes on. That's what's going to be in the in the headlines every week, especially if this team doesn't do well. You have a lame duck manager. It's going to become a distraction for the team. There's a reason that this is ne- this never happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also stupid because Breslow and Cora both said, we don't want this to be a distraction for the players. That's exactly what and it's going to be. be. <laughs> like, that's... The they, whole nature keep, of this. How do they keep putting themselves in a worse position to start the season? It's amazing. They keep doing it. It's uh, it's unreal. It's already like they're they're way deep in a hole and they just keep digging and digging and digging and think they're gonna get back to the top somehow. But you're just going down. Like it's. It feels it feels like after the trade deadline when Bloom never did anything, except this is gonna be the whole season, like the whole August and September, where we're just like depressed demoralized the vibes are low we're like you really didn't buy into this team why didn't you it was a team worth buying in for this is but this is going to be a whole season now yeah the quotes just continue to make it worse like the more quotes i read coming out of sock spring training socks from a weekend was awful every single quote just makes me more and more sad and upset like breslow talked today too and he said the socks would be open to adding to the rotation quote, if the opportunity presents itself. He declined to address um, specifically Montgomery or Snell and said the Red Sox want, quote, the vision to dictate the moves. What What does that even mean? Like he's just talking around the question with all these random pairings of words that sound like real sentences, but he's saying nothing. Like he's that meant nothing. If the opportunity presents itself, the opportunity is presenting itself on a silver platter. Jordan Montgomery lives in Boston. He's a free agent. You can just sign him. Like, that's allowed. You're allowed to give him money and have him play for your team now. Like, that is an opportunity fully presenting itself to you. But, and the vision to dictate the moves? What vision? Whose vision? Who's who's running the ship here? Like, you, Craig Breslow, you are the guy that can go out there 
you're the one that dictates the moves. You do the moves. You make the moves. That's your job. Who's vi- like? Is it John Henry's vision? What is this vision? Like, are you just supposed to awake one morning and it's just clear right in front of you? I must sign Jordan Montgomery. Like, I don't know what vision they're expecting. He also talked about Craig Breslow said Kenley Jansen is the closer as of right now. What? Like, what is <laughs> that's basically saying? Yeah, he's getting traded, but we're waiting for the right deal. It's just all it seems like the Red Sox don't even know what they're doing, which I feel like I've said that sentence over and over on this show. But that's exactly what these quotes make it seem. He's a closer as of right now. Maybe we'll trade him. Maybe we won't. We'll see what happens. The vision will dictate that move. Like what? <laughs> what is actually driving their whole series of moves? Like what is? What is this? What are we doing? Exactly. No one knows. We don't know. They don't know. The players don't know. How I keep thinking about this, and it just it makes things worse for me. But think about being a player on this current Red Sox team. How are you supposed to feel about anything? The guy right next to you could get traded tomorrow. And there's no one like coming on a in sinking to ship. replace him. It's yeah. You're literally on the Titanic. You're on a sinking ship and who's gonna drown no next? way off. <laughs> someone's going down first, and then someone's following, and then the whole thing's going right on down. Yeah. And they ran out of life rafts, just fresh out. They didn't have any to begin with. <laughs> it sucks because spring training is is when like these relationships are built, these teams' chemistries are developed and they grow over the course of the season. And, you know, teams can do special things like the 2013 team. They all showed up to spring training. It was a bunch of vets who never played together, but they said, you know, we have a bunch of damn good players and we all, you know, we all seem to like each other. We could do something special this year. Exactly. When you go into spring training where, you know, even one of your better players, Jaron Duran, doesn't know if he's if he's even going to be in Florida for the entirety of spring training, or if he's if, like he could be traded any day. Also, and, Alex Cora said that if Rafaela makes the MLB roster, he's the starting center fielder. So Duran's like, all right, well, if this kid makes the roster, I'm no longer the starting center fielder. Will I be playing well, left they, field, right field, or traded? Like he doesn't even know. Yeah, and um. But like you talked about, World Series championship teams always go back to, yeah, we knew in spring training, just going into camp, we had a really good feeling. We we liked the chemistry of the team, what was going on in the clubhouse, we felt really good, and like it just propelled us to the World Series. We're going into spring training basically knowing the season's over. Like maybe we can maybe the young stars will show up and we'll put together something cool, make it to a wild card spot, go on a playoff run, but I just don't think the pieces are there to be a legit contender for the World Series. You're probably not even making the playoffs, but if you do, like you're not making it all the way because the chemistry is not there. You don't know what this team is even going to look like a week from now, and it's spring training. Like you should have this pretty set in stone by the time pitchers and catchers are reporting. Like most other teams out there, they know who their guys are. And Brazil even said, "Yeah, we like the players that we have, but we're open to still opportunities to add through free agency or." trades or whatever like they don't even know what their final roster is yet or even who's like you could have seven different options for three outfield spots right now you don't know who your closer is going to be are you going to trade them or not you don't know who's in your rotation you have guys all up and down the roster competing for spots worried that their spots going to get taken away wondering if they're going to get traded wondering if one of their like competitors for positions going to get traded no one knows what's going on and that is not good for a team by any means And the craziest part of this to me is how they still just double down on the narrative, we're going to compete. Breslow, quote, this is going to be a very competitive team. Is it? Is it really? How? How? For the number one pick. For the number one pick in the draft, exactly. It's going to be a team that is going to see its players take a meaningful step forward. There's a really exciting young core of players that we're excited about and I think fans are going to fall in love with. They keep talking about this young core. They're in the minors. These are teenagers, basically. The young core currently on your team, Tristan Casas, Brian Bale, don't have extensions. Are they going to be here long term? I don't know. We talked about that last time. Who else is your young core? Like, it's just, they're basically taking a bunch of lottery tickets and hoping it's going to pay for a house, essentially. Or they're like, Rafaela, Abreu, uh, 
I don't, uh, what's his name? Vaughn Grissom. Tristan Casas, yeah, he's your stud, but this is his second full season in the majors. Brian Bayo, same thing. Jaron Duran, is he going to repeat what he did last season? You have really respect to him, but no reason to bet on that. There's so many players that you're just banking on them breaking out and taking a step up, taking the next level. But there is no guarantee that that's going to happen at all. It's <laughs> it's scary how much they're banking on these players to just be someone that they haven't been yet. And it doesn't help when there's so much dysfunction the day you show up to spring training. It's yeah. just th- this is this is on the verge of being a 2012 type season where just the entire season is hell and everyone wants to get out of there. Everyone is just counting down the days for the season to end. And it's so discouraging. And the only way that this can really be fixed is that they, if they somehow start the season off hot, you know, steal a few wins and, you know, maybe we feel a little better, but eventually it's going to regress to the mean. And, um, they're just not putting themselves in a in a in a very good position, you know. I I've I, I feel like every week we have an episode. I'm, it's one less thing off my wish list that I bring to the table. I'm Literally, like, a few weeks ago I was like, okay, we need two starting pitchers and a right-handed bat for the middle of the order. Last week I was like, just one starting pitcher and one bat, please. And now this week I'm literally like, just please get me a starter, please. That's it. Yeah. Solaire is gone. I, I, you know, I don't care. Bring back Tommy Pham. He's a badass. You know, like cool. But uh, just like please, anything, anything, and it's it's not gonna happen. It's so funny. We started out the off season begging for like Yamamoto, and now I'm begging for like Adam Duvall to come back. <laughs> yeah, Tommy Pham again. Yeah, it's terrible, and it's tough too because like as a diehard Red Sox fan, like I'm gonna be watching. Most of this season, I'm going to be following it. We're going to be talking about it on the podcast. I'm going to be posting stuff about it. And obviously, I'd love to have fun doing that instead of it just being a chore and just miserable. So I keep I keep going to the state where I'm delusional and I start buying into Breslow's comments. You know what? Maybe they will compete. Maybe every single player is going to have a breakout season. Maybe the pieces are just going to come together. The stars are going to align. Tristan Koss is going to be AL MVP. And it's just going to be awesome. But it's as much as I try to convince myself of that, then I look at the other quotes and, and the roster and the starting rotation and the past few seasons. I'm like, it's not. It's not going to happen. Like, let's be real. Real here. Like, Vaughn Grissom is not going to have a 300 average and all-star type season, be the everyday second baseman. Like, Brian Bayo, I hope he takes a step forward, but he's not going to be a top 10 starter in the league, ace of the rotation. Hopefully he can be the ace of our rotation, but the the things that we're asking these guys to do, it's just not fully realistic. It's best case scenario and banking your whole season on best case scenario across the board. That's not good. That's not sustainable. That's not going to work out nine times out of 10. It's going to fail miserably. So as much as I try to be delusional, it just kind of comes back to reality of this is just not going to be that great of a season. And that's something that I think Red Sox fans just have to accept as bitter as it is, like I'm still holding out hope that they're going to sign Jordan Montgomery. They're not. Like I've been waiting every day for that passing tweet to be like, the Red Sox are finalizing a three-year deal with Jordan Montgomery. It's not coming. I convince myself every day that it's going to happen. Next notification. There it is. No. Come on. I thought they were going to sign Jorge Soler too. He just got three years for $42 million from the Giants. No way the Red Sox were ever going to come close to that. So whoever out there is waiting out Jordan Montgomery with us, they're going to outbid the Red Sox. The Red Sox are just hoping that he gets desperate and no other team wants him and they can sign him to some super team-friendly deal that makes no sense for him, but he just wants to play baseball this year. So, well, go ahead. You no, know, you know we're getting to the bottom of the barrel of delusion when we're looking for at least in some form maybe getting Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about I mean, it in our group chat. Sox we talked, about, talking it. We about, talked it. about it earlier. I don't think it's that bad of an idea. I mean, this guy is asking for a minimum contract with incentive bonuses. So basically, you pay him if he does great. 
which he wants to do. And if he doesn't, you're paying him minimum salary. And if he causes a distraction, you cut him. It's over. It's a literally can't lose situation that they won't take they for won't. even minimal money. And it yeah, makes no so- sense because he's so his his style of pitching is so aligned with the way that this organization is moving. Breslow and Bailey are pitching gurus, and Trevor Bauer has always been, you know, the, a scientist, a pitching scientist. And it's also and not he, like he's fallen off. I mean, no, he was still player very in Japan. He's a sub three ERA guy. Yeah, he won the Cy Young like two, three years ago. Yeah. So for context for anyone who doesn't know, Trevor Bauer, pitcher for Cleveland, the Reds, Dodgers, won a Cy Young, and was at one point in his career one of the better pitchers in baseball, got kind of banished from the league after some allegations that I don't think ended up being true. He was proven innocent, whatever. Um, he's also a guy, he like he was a big YouTuber, so he was the kind of guy that people either hated or loved type thing. Uh, he got banned from the league, went out into foreign leagues, and I thought he did bad, but I looked at the stats. He was actually – he had like a, a sub-3 ERA in Japan last year. So he's he was out there still doing his thing. Like you guys said, pitching nerd, pitching guru, really tries to workshop his pitches. Um, and he said that on Theo Vaughn's podcast, he said that he would – he just wants to play again in the MLB. He'd take league minimum just to pitch for a team. Jonathan Papelbon saw that, and he was like, I'll pay his salary – it's it's a win-win situation. Like it can't hurt league minimum. And I see I think anyone can see the value of it because it's a you can't lose. Like worst case scenario, you DFA him after he doesn't work out and you lose a league minimum salary. Like that doesn't matter at all. Best case scenario, like best best case scenario, you have like an all-star type pitcher. Like he out, goes out there and dominates back to his vintage self like most realistic scenario you have a pretty solid number three starter maybe and with the state of this red sox team and this rotation i'd much rather have trevor bauer out there than some reliever return into a starter like i'd much rather have trevor bauer in that rotation and then have whitlock and Houck both in the bullpen that's that's a much better i think setup than once again, trying to force Whitlock or Hauk to work in the rotation. It beefs up your bullpen. And it saves again, so much arm longevity, too. I exactly. Mean, with your bullpen, guys, you don't have to have them coming out in the middle of the week and starting a game, throwing six innings, and then being shelved for a week. I mean, these guys can come out every couple of days now and have a healthy arm that can get us innings and put us in better positions. We just exactly. need rotation guys to fill those innings. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Bauer, I'd take any starting pitcher that has any upside. And for league minimum, and he's an innings eater. He's basically he free. Picks, he picks everything. He strikes guys out. He doesn't he, like. He's almost a 10K per nine for his career. He averages over 200 innings per 162 games, and he doesn't get hurt. He's an available pitcher, except for when he plays with drones, actually. But um, yep. <laughs> forgot about that. But uh, like. <laughs> Like it, it really is such a low risk, high reward thing, and it's something that a couple of years ago the Red Sox probably do, and I, I, you know, I don't understand it. I think in a way, I saw that um the Pirates, uh, they uh they turned him down for a contract, and uh, so I think in a way he might be getting blackballed from the league just because he's so polarizing. But like at the end of the day, Trevor Bauer is a weird guy. He's a nerd, but he's also like that weird kid from school. But yeah. um, like at the end of the day, his purpose, he's always said he tries to grow the game and whether he does it in polarizing ways that a lot of people don't like, but some people love, he still has a lot of fans at the end of the day. And if they signed him, yeah, in Boston, there's going to be headlines, no doubt, but he's a good pitcher. You let him back it up on the field and look, Hey, there's going to be a lot. What, who cares? Our vibes are already terrible. So, you know, what what does it matter? And if he has a bad month of April, you can just pull the plug and it's it's all gone. I was gonna jump on that and say, can the Red Sox PR really get worse? Like they're already getting the worst possible press. Like people are making fun of them across the league, and they're looked at as just a joke team right now. Like wh- no one knows what they're doing. 
So does signing Trevor Bauer really make anything worse? You're, you're already at the bottom. Like, it's not going to hurt anything. Like, it doesn't matter. And the, the, the issue is, though, it just makes too much sense. It makes so much sense that the Red Sox just aren't going to do it. Because every fan out there saw this come up. It makes too much sense. We're like, you, you lose nothing. You only can gain something from it. And so the Red Sox are just not going to do it, probably. Because why? Why would they do something that fans want that makes sense? They don't do that. I hope it happens. It'd be very cool. Um, and it'd, it'd be interesting to see if he can put together something good for us because that would really help given the rotation struggles and depth issues we've had. Probably won't happen, but we'll see. I mean, Jonathan Papelbon will pay the salary. It won't even cost John Henry anything. I'll chip in some chip in. I'll buy an extra hot dog next time I go to Fenway. How about that? That'll help. Just chip away at it slowly, yeah, slowly exactly. but surely. Chip away at it with Fenway Franks. Yep. I'll <laughs> buy an extra one just for Trevor Bauer. It'll help. We signed Michael Fulmer. How about that? Sweet to a minor league deal. Don't say I never gave you anything. Here's Michael Fulmer. Former, uh, he didn't win a Cy Young, did he? Rookie of the year. He won something. Rookie didn't he? of the year. Rookie of the year. Former rookie of the year. How about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's problem. It's, His arm it's depth. It's depth. He's old. It's but, not, I mean, though, he's because career, he's not going to pitch the 2024 season. Is he hurt? <laughs> he, yeah, he, he got, got some got, surgery yeah. or something. He's out for the 2024 season. I missed that. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, this is the oh old uh, Alberto Mondesi deal where you sign him to the team and he never plays for you. It's a great deal, really. This is, this is live reaction of just what <laughs> are the Red Sox doing? It's what the, are uh, you doing? They're trying to do the James Paxton thing again, where you sign him and he doesn't pitch the whole season, then he comes back the next season for less money than he should have and does great. That's what they're trying to do. I, mean, I don't it get works. it either. Like, if I, it works, it works, but is it going to work? You're paying a guy to not pitch a single pitch for you, a pitcher. You're, you're paying him to do nothing for a whole year. What, you could have just not done that. <laughs> Would have been so easy just to not do that deal too. Wait a year. Get him next year. Sign him mid-year. Like he's a reliever. Why are we investing this much into a reliever? Uh, arguably washed up starter. reliever. He's he is washed. I mean, he's he's a career three nine four in like nine years in the bigs. Coming off an injury, nine years. I didn't know he's been around that long. Yeah, I think I think it was like it was like eight or nine. He's um, the kind of guy on MLB The Show that's just like. At the bottom of like the relief pitcher, like yeah, he's one of your stock like, players. Exactly, he's just nothing. Like great when, you start, when you start your ultimate team, he's one of your stock players. Exactly. Except he's not even going to be out there. He's not going to pitch. Great deal. Phenomenal. <laughs> Fantastic. A plus. <laughs> Go team. Really fires me up. That whole day, I was just running around the the city, just being we like, "Got him, Michael Fulmer. We got him. Let's go." The, uh, the, hold on, hold on. The, the, the 2016 AL Rookie of the Year, 2017 AL All-Star, Michael Fulmer. John Henry's like, you guys want a pitcher? There you go. Here he is. You he got him. He was on the 2017 WBC team. How's that gold medal taste? It's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's our, our big addition. Let's talk about a subtraction. Kenley Jansen, we mentioned it earlier, most likely getting traded. Uh, I forget if we talked about it on the, on the show last time. I feel like we did. But, I mean, my current stance on it is there's no reason to have Kenley on this team, really. Like, he's a very talented player. We don't really need that at <laughs> in the back end of the bullpen. <laughs> we don't need talent. No, I mean, like, what's he going to do for us? Lock up the save for win number 79 of the season? Like, <laughs> Also, what save? What opportunities True, are going to be? That's a good point. Let him go somewhere else. You clear up his salary. I'm, they've been talking about it on Red Sox Twitter. I don't fully buy into the fact that it's real. Um, 
how the Red Sox want to trade Kenley Jansen so then they can sign Jordan Montgomery. They want to clear up the salary. I mean, they definitely want to clear up the salary of Kenley Jansen. I don't think that in turn means they'll sign Jordan Montgomery by any means. If that is what they're doing, that's very stupid. That makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense in a way, but it also doesn't at all. Like I, this, I know I said before, you can sign Jordan Montgomery right now. No problem. And trade Kenley Jansen later. And it does the same thing. Like you're not giving Kenley Jansen is whatever, $16 million tomorrow on February 14th. No, it's not a Valentine's day gift for him. He gets it at the end of the year or throughout the year. I don't even know how they get paid. Regardless, you don't have to trade Kenley and then sign Jordan Montgomery, which is why I don't think that's what's happening anyways. I think it's more of they just want to clear up the salary. And like I said, you don't need Kenley Jansen on this team. Obviously, he makes the team better because he's really talented. But I would like to see personally uh, Tanner Houck as the closer. Chris Martin's still here. He can be the closer. You got options at the back of the bullpen. Kenley Jansen doesn't need to be on a non-competitive team like this, especially a team that's trying to be young, focused on the young core. Kenley Jansen is not young by any means. Uh, you don't need him. Trade him. I, I hope that it means we sign Jordan Montgomery, but that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like we said, the, the Craig Breslow quote, he's a closer as of right now. He's probably not going to be the closer by the end of the week. By the end of the month, he's definitely gone. So I think it'd be really embarrassing if he stays at this point because <laughs> they just talked the whole offseason about, yeah, he's probably getting traded. We're floating him around. Phillies, Dodgers, he's a closer as of right now. Season starts, and he's, hey, guys, I'm still here. Like, at this point, you kind of have to trade him. At least yeah. you can get some value out of him if you trade him. Like, yeah. not I mean, really, though. Closers otherwise... don't have that much value, especially at this point, Kenley is what he is. Like, he's a formerly amazing closer. but He was good last, last year. year. He was, but he was also not always available. Like, his back – and, he's, uh, old. His, he's old. He's old. Yeah, he's old. And you can Hobbling start around his, out there. His body's breaking down. So, you know, a, any team other than really the Dodgers, I wonder how how committed they would be to parting ways with really anything of significant value. The thing well, is, though, I feel like if you're not trading him now before the season starts, you're really just prolonging until the deadline, the deadline comes and you trade him then anyway. Yeah, that's but risky get, though. Also, because he could get hurt. Also, the thing is that um, the the luxury tax penalties aren't determined until the season's over. So exactly, if wanted, like if you wanted to to do that addition and subtraction of Montgomery and Kenley, why don't you sign Montgomery now and trade Kenley later? Because that's it, what I've been saying. Gonna, I just I don't get it, and then it's also. We're not going to get Montgomery because today the Rangers, uh, they figured out their regional sports network thing. That's why they couldn't. They they had no money this offseason. It was weird. Hmm. They're they Did were part of Bally, and so they had to get a new. They had to like redo their deal because Bally went bankrupt, and um, now they have their regional network back, so they have more money to spend. So now they're probably just going to re-sign Montgomery. Um, yeah, I mean, I said it today on my Instagram. Like we missed out on Jorge Soler. We're not getting Jordan Montgomery. It's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, one thing I want to add on the whole Kenley thing about value, you're not really trading him to get prospects back. You're trading him to clear the salary. That's the value you're getting back is you just don't have to pay on that amount of money. So the only thing with that is if you're trading him to clear the money, use the money for something. Like instead of just getting the payroll down, you don't need it down. It's already, it's even under currently the uh, stupid benchmark that John Henry said at 225, it's under that. So it's not like you need to get under something. It's just to clear even more salary to be cheaper. So if you're going to clear his salary, if you're going to trade him in spring training like this, do it for a reason, get something back. That's why I think people linked the Jordan Montgomery thing with him. But I mean, based on how things have gone, here's what's going to happen. We're going to trade Kenley Jansen. We're going to be like, we got the money. Let's get Jordan Montgomery. And then we're going to sign like Michael A. Taylor or something. Ram Duvall or Tommy Pham. Like, it's not. Imagine the current state of the Red Sox is we got to find a way to trade Kenley Jansen so we can sign Tommy Pham. That's probably what's happening. How old is yeah. Tommy Pham? 35? 
He's yeah, he's actually older than Duvall. Good. But great. Um, if you look like am I really about to hype up Tommy Fam? <laughs> I think I am. Um so I looked at his baseball savant page and there was a lot of red. A lot of red. It was actually one of the more impressive baseball savant pages I've seen out of like a you know, not necessarily a role player, but like a third slash fourth outfielder. Dude hits the ball hard, barrels it, swing. You know, he has good plate discipline. He's almost with less pop, though. So he's almost like a budget Justin Turner in a way. But he can play a little Perfect. more. He he can actually give you innings in the outfield. Because Cora said today that Yoshida is going to spend the majority of the season at DH. So maybe you can play that game of rotating the DH, put, you know, Masa spells and left with fam. You're like, I wouldn't hate the signing, but in reality, fam's a six or a seven hitter in a lineup full yeah. of six or seven hitters. We need a four hitter. Yeah. And uh, preferably right-handed someone who can break you know, up Devers and Casas. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily looking for someone who's going to hit 35 home runs, but I'm looking for someone who's going to hit 30 doubles. Is that, is that too much to ask for? It's not hard to find someone who can be a gap hitter or a dead pull hitter. If I, I just, what are we doing? We're really here, mid February. Pitchers and catchers reporting, getting all excited for Tommy Fam. Did you see that Tommy Fam was at the Super Bowl and he left during yeah. the second quarter? That's so funny. I, Tommy Fam would do that. As sad as it is that we're hyping up Tommy Fam right now, I like Tommy Fam. I'm. A, I said it back when we had him on the team. I'm a fan, PH, of Tommy Fam. I am. <laughs> look, look at this. That's a savant. It's a lot of red. Very good. That's pretty, 93, 93rd percentile on average exit velocity, 89 chase percentage and hard hit percentage. Pretty good. And he, he was very helpful to the Diamondbacks down the stretch last year. Yeah. <laughs> Again, He's sad where we're at as a, as a fan base, but I'd love to have Tommy Fam. <laughs> Oh man! At least, at least it's a we're like a we're like a an unseasoned steak, and he's a, a pinch of salt. <laughs> yeah, we just, we're just begging for seasoning. Doesn't have to be best a best way to rub. describe the Red Sox. <laughs> That's perfect. Unseasoned steak. Honestly, I think that might be the name of this episode. Steak. We're like we're like the kids' <laughs> sirloin at the outback, where it's just like the, like the, it's a piece it, of meat. It's a slab of meat. Yeah, it's like all it's. We're honestly like unseasoned meatloaf, to be honest. <laughs> if you want to go see that unseasoned meatloaf on the field this baseball season, Orange Spring Training and Seat Geek is the place to do just that. They're my favorite place to buy tickets uh, and really the only place I buy tickets because not only do they have fantastic deals, but they also provide you with tools to make sure you're getting great tickets. I am very bad at spending my money wisely, but they help me out with that because they give me a grade for each ticket price so I know that I'm getting a good deal, a good value. They also show me the view from my seats so I can know what to expect uh, before I get to the stadium. They also give me my tickets right on my phone to make it all easy so I don't have to print anything. And with their wide selection of sports, concerts, shows, and more, SeatGeek knocks it out of the park when it comes to buying tickets. Plus, you can get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using our promo code, DUGOUT. D-U-G-O-U-T, DUGOUT, go. <laughs> go. <laughs> um... If this episode didn't get you all fired up for the 2024 season, um, then maybe the fact that you get to watch it again in 2025 will, because we're on Netflix. The Red Sox are going to be the first ever baseball-centered uh, Netflix docu-series. They're following the team all year long. We get to see Bobby Dahlbeck and Rob Ref Snyder out there battering the monster uh, all year long. I don't even know how to like talk about this because it's just we just did this whole episode talking about how this season is just going to be not that fun. This team is incomplete. And now we're talking about how they have a special 
on them, following them throughout the season as we experience this unseasoned meatloaf, as Joey called it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm not I like it's it's really cool that MLB is getting their version of Hard Knocks, but I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the 29 other teams. Why did they pick us? The Dodgers exist. They have an all-star team out there. Like, why did you pick us? I didn't even think of that till just now. The Dodgers would have been a much better business decision. You have Shohei Otani and Yoshini, Yosh, whoa, Yamamoto mm-hmm, out there. That would be fantastic. You get a global audience. Everyone's like, oh, my God, baseball is great. Instead, they're watching Josh Winkowski make a spot start because we're down to two starters in the rotation. Yeah. At this rate, they're not even going to get like a second season to feature the Dodgers. Like the Dodgers would be so wildly successful on Netflix, but like the Red Sox are going to kill this show. It's not going to, by the beginning of June, the camera people and producers are going to be like, we made a huge mistake. They're just going to shut the camera off. They could do this thing like a part of the show. They could do this like a David Attenborough nature special. Like here, the lion is waiting to pounce on this little gazelle, but we're the gazelle. Yeah, it's like Raphael Devers making an error on a routine play. No, it's like (laughs) just whiffs on it. It's like Joe Jakes facing Aaron Judge, and you can see (laughs) me shaking before he delivers the pitch. And then David Attenborough is just like, wham, his fourth home run of the game. And the Red Sox are down by 12. The defenseless pitcher shakes in his boots, (laughs) shakes in his cleats. Yeah, no, that'll be real fun to watch. Just experience this wonderful season the second time. Can't wait. The one, yeah. the one, I think, I guess, good thing about it, hopefully it exposes Red Sox ownership as being very stupid. People are going to watch it, and the Red Sox don't have final say in what gets put into it. So John Henry can't be like, oh, don't show that, don't show that, cut that out. They can't do that. It's up to Netflix. So it can very well be like a hit piece where it's like Red Sox fans have been devastated by the lack of spending by ownership and how much they don't care about the team. Hopefully it it does that and bullies them. It bullies them into being uh, focused on the Red Sox again because they get embarrassed on a national stage. Like Netflix, a lot of people watch Netflix. It's a pretty popular thing. And people who don't follow baseball, that's going to be their introduction to baseball. They're going to see the Red Sox on the stage and they're going to get shown how incompetent they were this off season and how they just didn't put together a full team. And now they're going to be oh, like, the Red Sox are idiots. Like what John Henry, what are they doing? They're going to feel like how we feel. They're going to get upset. Probably if I'm, if I'm like Johnny, I don't watch baseball out there. I'm watching this Netflix documentary. I'm going to get upset. I'm going to be like, even I could see how they should have done more. So I think that side of it's good. Like that's, that gets me excited. John Henry crying in his office watching this, that gets me excited. It's definitely going to be a hit piece because a lot of these docuseries on like sports, they bring in like journalists and newscasters to talk about stuff. Like they're going to be bringing in all these Boston sports journalists who are just going to be talking about how ownership is doing nothing. And this is why this team is struggling so much because they won't give them the weapons that they deserve. And that's why they're losing games. That's what this show is going to show. They're just yeah. going to go slowly downhill as ownership does nothing. And beat writers and journalists are going to show Netflix this is why. I like that they're doing the 04 part in addition to it, like the 2004, 20 years later, because you compare one of the, you know, the greatest Red Sox team of all time to this team. And maybe that helps light a fire under the front office. I doubt it. But like, what if this is all? just a really elaborate scheme by MLB to to force the Red Sox to be a big market team again because uh, they they need them. That's not true, but it's I can not. Dream. Yeah, I think this is hey, something hey, we're irrational wanted point. and they went out it's and okay. did, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I've been checking my email every day. Um, I'm sure, sure the Netflix producers will reach out to us and try to get us in the, in the special, um, a little in the tug out. <laughs> segment in the show um yeah yeah they'll be like as spring training began joey nagel 
describe the team as an unseasoned meatloaf. Yeah. How have we not talked about Theo yet? That's what I was about to bring wow. up next. That's like that's like the only good news, and it's very <laughs> and it's just minor news. It's a business move. Theo <laughs> Epstein, beloved GM of the 2004 and 2007 World Series championship Boston Red Sox teams, is back in Boston. Kind of, he's in his home in Connecticut, but he he is a um, what is it, a senior advisor of the Red Sox and a partner with Fenway Sports Group, so part owner of the Red Sox with the Fenway sports group. I, my stance on it is obviously it's good. Bringing Theo into the mix in any capacity is definitely good. I just think that his role has been a little overblown. I know a lot of fans are like, Oh my God, now we're going to sign Jordan Montgomery. He's, he's going to, he's going to fix the team. No, he's, I think it's more of like a business type deal. Uh, There's a lot of different, things that the MLB is doing in the future with expansion and different teams in different cities and that kind of stuff. And he's probably just building his resume. He's doing, he's more involved with the Fenway sports group aspect than the Boston Red Sox aspect, because they're going to get him consulting on the the penguins and the soccer stuff and whatever this golf thing is that they did. Like he's just going to be kind of getting his feet in the water in all those different areas. But I mean, he is still a senior advisor for the Red Sox. He has the connection to Craig Breslow. He hired Craig Breslow out in Chicago with the Cubs. So that is a great connection to have. I think it's good because Theo Epstein is a guy that can be um, like real with John Henry and tell him, argue with him. He can disagree with John Henry. I think it's a lot harder for Craig Breslow in his first year in this role to be like, you know what, John, I don't think we should do that. That's bad. Theo Epstein can do that. And Theo Epstein can also act as a... um, you know, like a guide for Craig Breslow as he embarks on his journey in this new role as a GM or a chief baseball officer, whatever. So, I mean, again, it's like not bad by any means, but I just don't think that he's not going to have that much of a role in any, any daily operations. Like he's not going to be like, Oh, instead of this guy in the bullpen, you should have this guy instead, or you should go out and trade for this guy. I think he's more of like a sounding board for Craig Breslow. um, Hopefully a voice of reason in the ownership group in terms of, what direction they're going to be going and what their future should look like, which is good. That's good to have, but yeah, I don't think he's really going to be doing much on a, on a small scale. I think it's a more of a process. I think it's going to take a few years where, you know, maybe someday Theo gains more and more stake in ownership and he becomes kind of like the, the head of the Red Sox as in, in that Fenway sports group where maybe he has a little more, say in the spending and can maybe sign off where John Henry doesn't because John Henry's getting not getting any younger. He's an old man. He's 74. So he can't have all of his interests. Obviously we've been put on the back burner for a number of years now, but eventually he's going to really have to either condense his portfolio or not, uh, not, not have such a wide variety in his portfolio. So, you know, maybe the Red Sox stay within FSG and I would hope that, you know, Theo gets to be, you know, the ma- not majority owner, but the the controlling owner in a way where he can, uh, where he can provide maybe more funds, more flexibility financially. That would be amazing. But if if the bare minimum is that, uh, his voice is in the room once a week. And he serves as a mentor to Craig Breslow. That's nothing but amazing. That's nothing but a great thing because Theo is the best baseball executive of all time. Mm -hmm. And to have him even loosely involved is it it can only be a good thing. Yeah. hundred percent. Also him and Sam Kennedy are good friends. So that's significant. Sam Kennedy Hometown guy, Red Sox fan. That's very good to have anywhere in ownership. So having two of those guys is even better. Because realistically, John Henry's not from here. Obviously, he wants his teams to win. But is he emotionally invested in the Red Sox as a franchise? True. I mean, that, I that even cares, I don't think there. he cares the Sox win. He cares that Fenway's a tourist attraction. True. I mean, but that helps my point even more. Like, he he's yeah. not a Red Sox fan. He's just a Red Sox owner versus Sam Kennedy and Theo Epstein, I think it's fair to say they're 
very heavily, heavily Red Sox fans. They grew up Red Sox fans. So they care about the franchise and the future of the Red Sox too. So adding to that fan core in the ownership group, fantastic. Plus they have a bond, obviously Kennedy and Epstein. So that's great to have Sam Kennedy. I think he's put himself in some bad spots this off season. He's been put in bad spots by John Henry and the ownership as a whole. But at the end of the day, he's a good guy that cares about the Red Sox. So I, I would favor anything Sam Kennedy wants to do much more than John Henry and Tom Warner. So having a guy to back up Sam Kennedy is definitely good too. Yeah. 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 Only other thing I have on the... You think uh, Theo cares Penguins? Ain't no way. I don't think Theo... Like, he's going to... I think he's... What does he know about said hockey? he's going to be working with all the... Yeah. Put puck in net. Puck's in deep. Exactly. That's all I know. That's it. It's basically it. Yeah. I mean, he's a baseball guy. He's not going out there and he's he's not telling the Penguins they should sign uh, Johnny Hockey Face over there. They're, he's going to be like, oh, the Red Sox, you should sign this guy or you should do this. I guarantee he does not care at all what Liverpool's out there doing. Definitely not. No. Nope. Theo's a great guy, too. You met him? I read Kona's book. He's a party animal. <laughs> Get him on the podcast. We'll there talk to him next time. There was a story about... Uh, yeah, for real. Yeah. We got to hear it. We got to hear the gorilla story. Did you guys yep. see the uh, Duncan's, Dunking's Super Bowl commercial? Yeah, what was that? Best one. Fantastic. Best, best commercial of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Fantastic. I was I was just like confused. I mean, there was a lot going was on awesome. there. But it feels like just, just a like, Boston fans happening? like um perfect dream. Like you you got Ben Affleck there doing oh, his yeah. thing. And then oh my god, it's Tom Brady wearing a Duncan jumpsuit with the Red Sox logo on it. Matt Damon's there too. The three of them. Have the coolest jacket I've ever seen. I tried to buy it, but it sold out. I will get it. I will. I need it. Um, and I, it's just perfect. It, everything about it was just perfect. Yeah, I agree. That was like, I I was also trying to get the jacket. It's drippy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But look, I think I feel like the Red Sox should maybe turn the Dunkings jacket into like on-field merchandise. Like instead of just the. You know how they have like the heavy jackets for the for yeah like the fall and the spring. Yeah, they should just wear that. <laughs> be allowed to wear the Dunk Kings jacket. That would that would add a lot more spice to this team. Um, may, maybe get you know Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Tom Brady. Maybe give them a little bit of ownership stake. Make things fun, but uh, make Tom Brady the bench coach. Hey, he was drafted by the Expos. He knows baseball. Let me He's tell a you, baseball guy. Yeah. He knows how to throw stuff too. Oh yeah. Good at throw. Good throw. Yep. Yep. I had to bring up that commercial. My friends, when they, when we watched it, were like, this commercial is targeted to you. And I'm like, it is, this is exactly a new England. This is new England commercial, right? Like the Patriots made a Super Bowl appearance basically in that commercial. Like that was it. That was all we needed. Yeah. They're like, is this going to be on the podcast? And like, you better believe it is. We were talking about it, so here you go. <laughs> it was perfect. Everything about it. Yep. Unlike yep. the Red Sox. Yep. Um, on that note, unless you guys got anything else, that'll do it for this week on In the Dugout. <laughs> Vibes are in shambles, as they say. Uh, could not could not get much worse as we go into spring training here. What? Oh, I have one more prediction. Prediction, yep. Next Friday, February 23rd, the Red Sox play their annual game against Northeastern. I think Northeastern's going to beat them this year. Yep. <laughs> it's right on brand. I don't think they've I don't There's think a shot. Northeastern has never won that game from from my knowledge. They've never won. They're winning it this year. <laughs> if I could bet it, I would. What an electric way to start off the Netflix stock. It's just like they faced this college team and lost. <laughs> gonna happen yeah that's really gonna give the nation a great picture of boston red sox baseball (sighs) yeah good first impression all right that'll do it we'll see you next time on the indigo podcast thanks for listening